Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I am Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back uh, with you another week. I always feel like some uh, this part of the year for me, it's cold and it's dark. Uh, the weeks start to get very long, so it feels like it's been a couple weeks since I've seen you. But it's good to <laughs> it's always good to to see you every week. So, well, we're we're actually getting some rain down here, and and usually it takes something like a hurricane to bring rain here. So, so we're 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 seeing some winter weather as well, and. Um, but uh, yeah, the weeks probably don't feel nearly as long here as it does with you. Yeah, thankfully, I don't mind the cold and and dark. I'm not sure what that says about me, but uh, anyway, um, but it does make the days longer. Well, yeah. we, we got a good episode today. I think we're going to talk about shame. Yeah. Um, it, it's an interesting subject because in our culture, we have effectively become a shameless culture. There is no yes. more shame. Mm-hmm. And I think it'd be interesting to hear your opinion on this. I think largely the church has adopted the mentality that all shame is bad all the time. Um, as Christians, we should never have any shame or guilt. We should kind of live free, be yeah. happy, resting in Christ, that sort of thing. It, w- what do you think about that? Well, I think that's bending with the culture. I mean, we're living in a culture that increasingly embraces that which is evil. Um, they try to erase any kind of idea of um, any real sin. I remember decades ago, um, MTV running some sort of uh, some sort of thing about sin, and obviously they weren't were, they weren't being biblical about it. And at the very end, they had something flash up on the screen that said something like, "The only real sin is to call something sin." Right. Hmm. Um, so that's that's really the, the the culture that we live in, and not surprisingly, the church often unfortunately, will bend itself to the culture, especially those who are more seeker-sensitive. Mm. How can we accommodate the culture? Well, the quickest way to accommodate the culture is to accommodate sin. And when you accommodate sin, um, the ideas of guilt as well as shame end up getting eradicated as well. Now, not eradicated in an objective sense, but eradicated in terms of um, how people think, um, understanding what the Bible teaches about that. But we know that those concepts never go away. They are always there, even if people are not aware of them. Yeah. It's interesting. I think a lot of folks who would be in sort of our circles, it's even sort of crept in there. And and I don't think it's um, malicious, maliciously intended. I think a, a lot of it is we don't really like to talk much about holiness, about repentance, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's not necessarily true in our camp. We do speak about those things, but the topic of shame doesn't necessarily come up a lot. And so, yeah. if you're not hearing a topic and you're not being taught on that, um, well, really, what you have left is just what you're hearing from the outside, right, from the culture. And so, if you constantly hear shame is bad, shouldn't have shame, shouldn't you know, it, it's all about being happy, e- even if you're a solid believer, right? right? We have to guard what we hear, and a, a big part of what we, how we guard ourselves is keeping our minds being renewed in what Scripture teaches and in, in the Word and in the truth. So, um, so I think we've seen that a lot in, in even our circles to some degree. Uh, let, let's start with some definitions, right? Definitions are important. Uh, what are we talking about? You can use shame and guilt 
both as a noun or as a verb. Uh, but we're talking about a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by, right, the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. Uh, that's that's a dictionary definition. I, it's an accurate definition uh, when you line that up with the way Scripture uses the, the word shame. And there are a couple different ways Scripture refers to shame. We'll kind of get into that. And then, uh, and then it, this podcast is not necessarily about guilt, but let me just throw out the definition of guilt as well. Um, guilt, as a noun, is just the fact of having committed uh, a, a, a specific or Im- implied offense or crime. Right. So when we think about that biblically, it would be an offense uh, or crime against God. Right. So we're speaking about sin here. Um, that makes it very important because instantly everyone's going to realize, hopefully, that if you do away with shame and guilt, you've somehow just eliminated a proper response to sin. Yeah. Right. And to God, or at yeah. least we should understand that very quickly. Yeah, I think the folks in our camp understand the importance of talking about sin, especially when we're presenting the gospel to people, because people, especially those who are unbelievers, need to understand that they are sinners, that they stand guilty before a holy God. And connected to sin, as you mentioned, is the fact that we are guilty, um, that we will be condemned before a holy God because our works cannot save us. The only way that we can be saved is to put our um, faith into the one who bore our sin um, on the cross, and that's Jesus Christ. Guilt and shame, um, there is overlap there because shame often comes as a result of guilt. Now, the other way to look at this, too, um, I was um, reading some articles uh, really from Old Testament dictionaries, is really the contrast between shame and honor. So it's really kind of the opposite of of honoring someone. And the word for honor is the same word that uh, would often be used for, um, for, for glory. For, for the glory of the Lord. It's it's to give praise and honor to the one whom praise, praise and honor is due. But it's not only just for God. For instance, we know in the New Testament, children are called to honor their parents, right? So honoring is, is really to, to, to us bestow the proper value. And then oftentimes uh, results in us exalting, especially when we talk about God, it's to exalt, to magnify really our view of, of the object of that honor. Whereas shame is the opposite in the sense that um, when someone is is going through shame, it's really a they're they're minimizing. There's there's a minimization of who they are. You know, it's it's the opposite of honoring where we're exalting. Shame is where we're you know we want to hide it, we want to cover it up because it's so shameful. And think about Adam and Eve when they first became aware of their nakedness. The fact that they were naked by itself was not a sin, but they felt shame over it um, because of their growing conscience over sin. And so there, there's a very much a, a very interesting concept of shame that really weaves through the Old Testament. And for instance, if um, if two men um, go to court together, whoever is unrighteous is to be punished in the public um, in front of other people. That's very much with a, a concept of shame <clears throat> that um, that there is um, there is a sense in which that person is to be is to be really humiliated. Um, in the presence uh, of others within the nation of Israel over the, the wrong that they've done. And that humiliation is meant to really encourage people to do what is right and discourage people from from doing what is wrong. So there is um, shame that is, I would say, both objective as well as subjective. Um, there, there's um, shame, the, the objective sense we think about, you know, um, so I think of Second Timothy two fifteen. Um, this is the Awana verse um, that says, uh, "You know, be diligent to present yourself um, uh, as a workman, uh, as a workman of God, unashamed, um, handling the word of truth accurately." I'm paraphrasing there. 
Um, but we have uh, we have that sense there. And, and Jesus Christ talks about how those who are ashamed of his him and his words, um, well, he's going to be ashamed of them, right? So there's both um, there's both uh, an objective sense and there's a subjective sense, which is more about um, the feeling that may stem from from our guilt that comes forth mm-hmm. from that. And I think the I, I think we, when you talked about how we don't talk about this as much. It may be because we're so afraid of being seen as legalistic, you know, because when, when you start to focus on guilt and shame, you know, you you run the risk of being seen as as a legalist. Yeah. But it's the same kind of reason that we shouldn't shy away from the word sin. We we have to be able to deal with sin and to be able to tackle sin. And and just the fact that Second Timothy 2.15 urges, that's Paul urging Timothy um, to not be ashamed to accurately handle the word of truth, goes to show that even we as believers, if we're not diligent, we might end up being ashamed. Not ashamed in the sense that we're going to go to hell, but ashamed in the sense that we didn't do more with what God has given us. Yeah. I, you know, it's very interesting that um, you, you make the, I, I think, a good point how we often don't talk about it because we don't want to be seen as being legalist. But what's really interesting about that is if you were to isolate any um, segment of the Apostle Paul's epistles, uh, you could easily come to one or, one or two conclusions uh, if you isolate them. Either uh, in one instance, you would say, wow, the Apostle Paul is a legalist. Right. I mean, just think of Ephesians three and four. He's giving all these do's and don'ts. Right. Um, Do this, but don't do this and this and this. Um, But you can't isolate that. Whereas in other places of of the Apostle Paul's epistles, if you were to isolate those, you would say, wow, that sounds very antinomian. Um, Right. That sounds very free grace. And and so, I mean, often when we preach those passages, um, I, I think Spurgeon talks to the fact that when you preach on those passages, you ought to be accused of being an antinomian if you're preaching a passage <laughs> about God's grace and love. And just his uh, point is, um, in, in that focus of the passage, you need a right understanding of just how all-encompassing God's grace yeah. and love is for those who truly belong to him. Yeah. Um, and, and then, on the other hand, when you're talking about um, the life of a Christian, the effects of sin, the pursuit of holiness, um, yeah, absolutely. You're going to sound like a legalist because you're saying these are things that not only the Christian should not do, but must not do. Yeah, um, right. right. And so, and this is kind of one of those categories, I think. But so we need a kind of a, a holistic biblical picture of shame. But you, you tied shame early on in your comment to uh, salvation. And that's very interesting, and I think it's right because in reality, um, not only is shame proper, but it's essential when we're yeah. talking about coming to saving faith. No one really comes to a saving faith who hasn't first become ashamed mm-hmm. of his guilt before God. Yeah. Um, and and just in case people are scratching your head, just think of uh, of the fact that we have so many uh, gospel, so-called gospels out there who eliminate shame. And so, what, what do you get? Well, a gospel preached without any emphasis on sin, it really produces false converts. A gospel that has no emphasis on the shame of sin. So, since they've never felt shame of their sin, they never see the need for a Christ who covers that guilt yeah. and that shame. And so maybe they come to a Christ that's going to fulfill all their dreams and hopes and wishes, but that's not the Christ of the Bible. Maybe they come to a Christ that's going to make them healthy, wealthy, and prosperous, but that's not the Christ of the Bible. 
And so if you eliminate yeah, shame, you really eliminate a proper gospel presentation. Yeah, and that's uh, the testimony of uh, Ray Comfort. I think I've brought this up before. It's worth uh, bringing it up again. Ray Comfort used to be a part of a Hillsong church. I did and not know he, that. Yeah, he, he did. He, he got his start at a Hillsong church, and he came to realize, and you can check this on YouTube. He shares this testimony. But he came to realize that 90% of the people who had responded positively to the gospel um, ended up walking away from the faith. That This is uh, kind of their own studies internally within Hillsong. And he, he took a look at those numbers, and, and he's like, well, how can that be? How is it that someone can you know, receive eternal life and then just walk away from the faith? That doesn't make any sense. And as he was going to the scriptures, which was the right way to examine this, he went to the scriptures saying, well, okay, what is it that we're doing or not doing? What, what is it that we can you know, improve? And he goes to the scriptures, he realized, wow, we're not talking about sin. We're, we're we're not we're we're not we're we're not convicting people of their need for Christ. Really, we're just providing the good news without the bad news, and that what really what led to the launch of his ministry, the way of the man, master ministries. Which, if you go to YouTube and you see his videos, you'll see that he's he's a great evangelist and does a really great job of bringing the Ten Commandments before people and showing people that hey, they're a transgressor of the law. But it's the very same idea that. You know, you take away sin, you take away guilt, you take away shame, to your point. You know, you, you now have a gospel that doesn't really address the need that people really have. Instead, what you have is a gospel that gives people what they want without taking away the thing that, that they're most guilty of, right? Um, so, we, we have to, we want to be able to keep those concepts in mind. And, and this is not to say that if you present a gospel and don't use the word shame, that is not a real gospel. But it is to say that when we think about um, sin, think about <clears throat> we have to think about the implications of sin as well. Mm -hmm. And the word shame is all over the Bible. The yeah. word shame or even ashamed, ashamed, uh, the word ashamed shows up quite a bit as well. So we want to take those words into account, think through it biblically and understand that this is part of the implications. This, this is part of what happens when sin is in our life. The, the outward working of sin, it makes us guilty before God. It brings shame to us. Um, we will stand before God ashamed. And th there's also a sense of humility um, in this, as you mentioned, that we want to have the right view of our prior life when coming to Christ. You know, think about the rich young ruler, uh, not the rich young ruler. Think about the uh, the, the tax collector and, and, the, and the Pharisee. Right. The Pharisee goes up there and he says, I'm thankful that you didn't make me like this man. I tithe. I, I do this. I do that. And then you get to the um, to, you, you get to the tax collector. And what's he doing? I mean, he's he's standing far off. He, he He's not even worthy enough to come close. He, he doesn't even feel worthy enough to look up. He's just looking down the ground. And not only that, but he's beating his chest, which is uh, that that's that's the action of, of one who, who who's experiencing shame. And, yeah. uh, and what does yeah. he say? He says, be he says, be merciful to me, the sinner. That that is an act of someone who feels shame over his sin, and that is the one that Jesus Christ says, that is the one who goes home justified, and to be justified means to be declared righteous before a holy God. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the key to viewing shame rightfully, I think, is linking it appropriately to sin. I mean, when, when does shame first enter in? And, and the scripture you referenced earlier, talking about Adam and Eve, it actually says God covered their shame. Right. Yeah. Um, and well, what was he covering? What was he covering just their their nakedness? Well, no, that, that's not exactly what was happening there. What God was doing was covering the result of their sinfulness. No. Yeah. Right? Um, right. Because it was uh, their, you know, 
their observation of, you know, their nakedness was just the fruit of their sin. Um, and, and so that's what we're seeing there. And so, and we see that shame is tied to in, in the biblical sense to sin all throughout scripture. It's either, t- it's either, uh, towards sin or being ashamed of the gospel right in that yeah. sense and we have those right. those are the two primary right. ways that um the word sin or the word shame is used in scripture in fact there are two uh two words that most commonly come up if you search you know do a word study um and and so we see it those two different ways and so we've got to do that it's interesting because you know i've heard uh, missionaries talk about working in societies where it was still heavily built on the honor and shame culture mm-hmm. and largely when i've heard that spoken about it's been uh negatively spoken about how they you know need to help eliminate that uh that it produces yeah. something that's bad um you know just still this kind of idea of mm-hmm. if you're in christ you should always feel loved enjoyed and content and and that's is certainly true um however if that excludes the feeling of guilt and shame when we sin, then it's no longer biblical, no. right? Uh, we should never be content in sin. We should never be content in disobedience. And just by the way, I would make an argument that the Holy Spirit's role of convicting us is actually to bring um, those feelings of guilt and shame upon us. And so if we fight against that in some sense, we could be fighting against the Holy Spirit's work in our life. Uh, if you get to the stage where you no longer feel shame over sin, then that's an indication, I think, of your conscience having been seared, right? Yeah, I, th- I think of <clears throat> Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mountain, especially the Beatitudes. Uh, what does he say? He says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And to be poor in spirit, I, I believe, is this humility and-, and shame over our sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Why do you hunger and thirst for it? Because you know you don't have it. Blessed are those who mourn. Why would they mourn? Because they they mourn knowing that they are sinners, right? That they're the ones who are going to yeah. be comforted. So the the shame aspect of this, and, and we think about even the Old Testament, this came to mind as well. You know, you mentioned Adam and Eve and, and how uh, God covered their shame. But but also when you think about the concept of the harlot, and the harlot is mentioned often throughout the Old Testament, uh, the, the harlot has no shame because she exposes her body parts and then she basically sells it and then gives it to, to her goods to whoever whoever um, wants it uh, without uh, without proper recognition and an honor for the marriage covenant and the nation of Israel at various times has been compared to the harlot because they went after false gods and and being the harlot they had no shame over the way that they were presenting themselves, how they gave themselves over to sin, how they gave themselves over to false gods. I mean, we think about uh, the god of Molech, and obviously we're in a culture now of death where in California, we just learned yesterday that Proposition 1 was passed, which means that um, all women uh, all the way throughout the entire term can get abortion for any reason. There's not even a discouragement for late-term ab- abortion anymore. Wow. Um, so. We are now covering the shame that that is um, that is that should be connected to those kinds of acts. Think about crime that happens in big cities. Um, I mean, it it used to be shameful to be caught, you know, stealing someone else's goods, and now people do it in broad daylight, especially in some of these uh, the, some of these major cities. So we we talked earlier about how shame is going further and further away, and and we're in a society which in which shame is being completely eradicated. The LGBTQ agenda, and there's this uh, one transgender uh, man who uh, 
calls himself a girl, not even a woman. He calls himself a, a girl and, and does all kinds of shameful things on TikTok videos, hmm. uh, making himself out to be a girl. And even women who really pay attention feel insulted by the way he's uh, he's he's portraying womanhood or what he calls girlhood. So there, there's no more shame in society today. But we as Christians, we are not to be like the world. We are separated from the world. And so we we do hold on to these concepts of shame. And it becomes also important even in the biblical counseling realm as well, because when someone is feeling shame, the response is not to tell them not to feel shame, right? The response is to try to figure out what's causing that shame and and what needs to be repented of. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and we should say, you know, we understand that you can corrupt everything, right? Um, you can turn a pursuit of right holiness into a legalistic thing. Uh, you, you can also feel shame and guilt uh, because you're uneducated, uh, because you've made some assumptions about something that's untrue, because your worldview isn't lining up with Scripture in some way. So, absolutely, people can wrongfully feel shame and guilt over things that they're not truly. Uh, I, you know, a perfect example, I think, is how many people were shamed uh, or to made made to feel guilty over the yeah. getting the vaccination, right, which right. should have been an issue of Christian liberty, right? Yep. Or, or even the masks, you know, how many churches, mm-hmm. um, that, you know, I just sent you an article not too long ago of a church that basically yeah. the leadership shamed their people um, into wearing face masks. And, and so those things can happen wrongfully. But just in general, we, we have to recognize that shame is, uh, is a is a biblical concept um, and that we need it. It's interesting. Let me read a few passages. Did you have something to jump in? Jump yeah, in there? yeah I, 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 it just occurred to me because you brought up these examples of churches that shamed their members for either not getting vaccinated or not getting masked. Um, recognize that there is a growing number of churches that shame their members for not doing what the world does, but doesn't shame their members mm-hmm. for disobeying the word of God. Think yeah. about how twisted that is. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Um, and and so we understand that it can be bu- abused, but we don't define these things based on the abuse of. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, you learn what the biblical uh, definitions are, the biblical uses are, and then that way you, when it's perverted, you'll know, right? Because you understand what scripture has to say with it. But you're right. You mentioned earlier that uh, the word is used all throughout scripture. I want to read just a couple of these passages and maybe we can just talk about them, give some more examples. I'd really like to see an embracing and a redeeming of shame back into the church. And I mean, in a rightful way. Um, and, And maybe I'll just jump to the issue of church discipline first, right? Yeah. You mentioned that yeah. earlier. Look, church discipline is meant to produce shame. Yes. If church discipline is exercised in any way that does not shame the person, publicly produce that, um, then it's not done well or right. And and that sounds terrible because we live in a shameless society now, but remember that shame and guilt is meant to be that which brings the person to repentance, that helps to open their eyes to the wrong before God that they've done um, and to lead them to repentance. If you remove that, then what is there um, to, to bring the weight of their sin to that person if there's no guilt or no 
shame. It's interesting. Um, and, and so we know the passages of church discipline, but uh, in John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion, I thought it's very interesting just to kind of remove it out of our own thought and culture. Uh, he gives three primary purposes to church discipline. And then, of course, it's a big writing, so he elaborates on those. But just listen to these, um, the third one particularly. But the first one, he says, the first is that they who lead a filthy and infamous life may not be called Christians to the dishonor of God. Mm. Now, that's really interesting because some of the uses of the word shame in Scripture actually refers to filthiness. Um, mm. and the second, he says, is that the good be not corrupted by the constant company of the wicked, as commonly happens, mm. right? And and so you remove the wicked from among yourself. We understand the principle, right? Uh, you become like those who you hang around, um, and it's always bad company that corrupts good morals. We understand that from the scripture, right? And then the third, he says, is that those over overcome by shame for the baseness for their baseness begin to repent, and that's the one. So that they're overcome with shame, so that they begin to repent. So shame is actually God's grace in in, in that way, in in the right biblical sense. Yeah, that's uh, when you think about the Matthew eighteen process of rest- church restoration. Um, you first confront someone one to one. If they don't do not repent, then you bring two or three witnesses. If they do not repent, you bring before the church, and it's announced before the church. Well, why do you involve more and more people as you go? Well, because you want to increase the sense of shame that that person should be feeling as a result of the sin that they are refusing to repent from and ultimately be getting kicked out of the church and not being allowed to come back to the church unless they repent is another level of shame. And so th- th- those things are there, just like the Old Testament, when when uh, when two when two men go before the court and one of them is found to be guilty of wickedness, they end up getting punished right there in public. Now, when you think about Jesus Christ and when he went to the cross for us, he 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 bore our not only our sin but our guilt and our shame on the cross yeah. because he was he he was treated and i think about isaiah chapter 53 when it says we did not esteem him right so to to not esteem someone is is like shaming someone he was treated as someone who should have been ashamed before god when in reality he was bearing the shame that we all deserved um so the, the shame that we that the shame that God brings upon us or the shame that the, the spirit convicts us of, or even the shame that I would, I would even argue that even in our conscience, God has given us a conscience to feel shame when we're doing certain rights or wrongs. It's a very important part of how our conscience works. So all of this is meant for good. Can it be abused? Yes, it can be abused. Um, but in this culture today, here and now, in this world culture where they try to remove more and more shame, they can't do that without minimizing sin and when we think about the lgbtq community uh, a lot of people complain those who would identify as being homosexual lesbian or whatever um, they will often talk about the shame that they feel from society because of you know the way they act uh, the, the way they feel the way they 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 identify themselves and and the way the culture tries to justify it is by saying well this is um this is not a shame that they should be feeling but this is a shame that society makes them feel because of the social values that we force upon them but the reality is is that in a society that's growing more and more um pro lgbtq and anti the, those who believe in biblical values we we see even from the statistics on suicide that suicide mm-hmm. rates do not go down 
even in a pro-LGBTQ society like ourselves. Why is that? Well, I, I would argue that the conscience that God has given to us tells us that these things are shameful. And, and not only that, but when we live according to that way, we, we live in, in accordance to the world rather than according to God's design, which is always bad. When we go away from God's design, we know from this country, Judeo-Christian values, the, the amount of success this country has had, even though this has never been truly a Christian nation, we were able to enjoy success because we we uh, we we paid attention to to Judeo Christian values, at least the morals that we see in the Bible. So taking away shame, you can't take it away without minimizing sin and without doing away what is morally good and and right. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Um, th that's exactly why the LGBTQ movement is what it is today, is because we've removed shame as a culture. It, yeah. You know, the removal of shame is the promotion of sin yeah. and sinful behavior and lifestyles. Um, and, and you're exactly right. And if you listen very carefully, that ought to just be a case in and of itself um, that shame is good. Right. When when in order to make perversity acceptable, you have to constantly tell people they shouldn't be ashamed. That ought to be a really good sign that yeah. shame is good. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, they should bear that. Um yeah, you know, I think it's 2 Thessalonians 3.14. I mean, listen to this. I, I think we've made the case already, but it says, If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him. So this is someone who's being taught the word and they're ignoring it, right? Do not even associate with him yeah. so that he will be put to shame. Mm. And and again, I, I know, you know, it doesn't feel nice. I, I don't think anyone should ever enjoy doing no, these no, things, no. right? If you're enjoying it, that's indicative of uh, something wrong in, in your heart, right? We should do these things grieving with sorrow. I mean, talk about church discipline. Um, elders should never be eager uh, and desirous of church right. discipline in the right. sense that they enjoy it, right? That we, we should be quick to do it when we must, for the sake of the purity of the church and uh, the sake of the, the person feeling the weight of their sin, but we should never enjoy that. But here, I mean, the the reason is so that they would be put to shame. So again, when yeah. we try to remove shame, I mean, really, we're rejecting the clear teaching of Scripture. So yeah. beyond the cultural stuff, beyond just observing, um, I, I think what we naturally see in how God works in our conscience the scripture is just really clear about the purpose of these disciplines um, is meant to produce shame. Yeah. And again, it, it you know, in, in a community, just imagine, it, you know, you would see this more in smaller communities, but just imagine in a, in a community where someone, it, you got to the stage where all the believers just refuse to associate with someone. Yeah, it, it wouldn't feel nice, but that's the whole point. So that person ends up being isolated. And what happens when people isolate themselves? They start to contemplate their life and why and things like that. Um, yeah. And when you are, when you have the truth of the word that's been taught to you already and you're forced into that position, then you really have one or two choices. One is that you recognize the, the weight of your sin and the wrong, right? And then the grace of God leads you to repentance or a hardness of heart happens, right? And so that that's the goal of these things. So we should never be aiming in appropriate settings to remove shame from people. Yeah. Um, 
which is why you started right Uh, with the counseling by saying you you never say you shouldn't feel shame you want to know first why right where is it coming from yeah so i I would say that we never want to minimize shame that is tied to real guilt a real sin before god on the other hand just even the examples that we brought up about how some churches have shamed their members for not wearing masks or not getting vaccinated that's that's a problem with the church i mean so if if someone is being put to shame by their church over not being vaccinated that's where i'm going to talk to someone and say this is not something that you should be shamed for and then nor nor do you need to feel shamed for right because th- these are personal health decisions that you need to be able to make for you and and your family and the other kind of shame that um that i would seek to address um would be when believers feel shame over things that they did prior to conversion mm-hmm. and so obviously abortion has been a big issue and whenever i talk about abortion and i gave a message on it um back in october but one of the things i always want to mention is that for women who have been through this um who have uh, aborted a child and, and every single church probably has a number of women like this um for women that have gone through this they no longer need to feel shame if they have put their faith into the lord jesus christ because jesus christ bore all of that on the cross and this is where biblical counseling can be really helpful that if someone is feeling shame for something that they did prior to conversion you have to help them have to walk them through the gospel help them see that hey did god know about that sin yes he did did god send his son jesus christ to die on the cross in order to bear the penalty for that yes he did well then if the sin has been addressed and if jesus christ bore it on the cross then what purpose is there to feel any more shame are we saying that the work of jesus christ is not sufficient are we saying that we are more righteous than god to know that we should continually to be we should continue to be punished for this or to be made feel felt guilty over this so those are the times where i would seek to counsel someone through that to help them understand that they no longer need to feel shame now one more one more scenario comes up into my mind what if someone feels shame over what they thought was a sin but biblically wasn't really a sin how would you how would you handle that yeah this is a great question i would handle it by taking them to scripture and demonstrating to them that it is in fact not a sinful issue and i think we both probably did this in various ways through the covid stint right mm-hmm. um for for instance i i mean i myself know um and spoke to believers who were made to feel shame about getting the vaccine um, and you you take them to the principles of scripture and you say, look, this is an issue of Christian conscience. This is why there's no mandate to do these things or these things. And so be free in in your choice. If you choose to do it because you want to, uh, then, then that's your choice and that's fine. But any guilt or shame associated with not doing it because people are saying, if you don't, you're not being loving. Yeah. then that is not a biblical shame or guilt. That is an undue burden being put on you. That is, in fact, sinful to do. Right, um, right. It, Yeah, and and so we do want to release people um, of inappropriate guilt or shame yeah. in that way. We, we don't want people to carry that burden because it's not theirs to carry. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. Now, I'm going to change this scenario just a little bit. What if someone did something that they thought was a sin um, and they felt shame from committing what they thought was a sin when really biblically it is not a sin? I think a lot of the steps that you just described still apply 
Yeah. But we also have to realize that if someone goes against what their conscience told them mm-hmm. was um, was right, and then they ended up doing what they thought was wrong, mm-hmm. um, you need to confess that to God. Yeah. Um, you still need to confess that to God, but then your your conscience needs to be sanctified by understanding what the Word of God really says. Yeah, I think those cases, what we want to show people is that um, it is generally not a sin, and that's important. And then we want to help them understand that there are those things that we have personal convictions about that we may not press upon other people. Yeah. Uh, so it's not sin for you, but maybe it's sin for me. Because what I do, yeah. I do in faith. And if I do what I right. do outside of faith, then it's sin. And so we do want to still give them that understanding. And then I agree wholeheartedly. We want to say, you know what, if if now you understand that that is biblically not applicable for every person, however, you still feel understanding that, that this is something that the Lord does not want you to do or participate for various reasons, and you've done it anyway, then that shame and guilt, as long as you understand those things, is right, is appropriate, and let's confess that sin to God, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and don't move, you know, and repent of it, and so yeah. stop doing that right. thing. That's how I would ad- address that. Um, it, I do always want them to. I, I do always want to, and I know you do too. Make sure people understand what uh, is an expectation for every believer, um, and and what isn't. You, you know, I have those things. You probably have those things. Some of it is just merely uh, based on um, whatever sin temptations we know are are more tempted, that we're more tempted by. And so we may say, you know what, I can't do X, Y, Z without falling into temptation. Uh, You you know, I've been trying to think of an example, going into a bar. Mm -hmm. Um, You you have someone who is previously an alcoholic, they've repented, they've walked away from that lifestyle. And for them, they know the the moment they walk into a bar, their heart starts longing for what they had, and yeah. in that they sin. Sure, they can't <clears throat> tell you if you walk into a bar you're sinning, but for them it may be sin. Right, um, and so they do it. They fall to it. They come and confess it. You don't want to get rid of the shame. You want to help them repent of that. Yeah, yeah. Th- those are strategies for dealing with the sin in our life. We realize that not everyone struggles in the same way um, w- with all the same sins. Um, so we want to take that into account. And essentially this, uh, whatever the Bible is black and white about, um, we should be black and white about uh, with ourselves and with others within the body of Christ. But whatever is not black and white, but it really comes down to more of a conscience issue. Um, those are times where we want to make sure that uh, we are clear with our own conscience, but that we are not binding other people with our conscience. Right. Um, and there are many examples um, of this. Um, I, yoga is one of these things. I would never do yoga because of the way it originated. Um, some people, if they think that there's physical benefit that comes from it, okay, that's between you and the Lord. I still don't agree with it. You know, music that we listen to, we talk about Bethel, Hillsong, Elevation. I don't listen to music from those churches. Some people will reason, well, if the lyrics are good, I can listen to it without being lured in by the churches behind it. Okay, that's between you and the Lord. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, um, uh, you know, take you through the church discipline process um, over yeah. that. Yeah, so we we have to exercise some discernment over what the Bible um, says very clearly and and what are really just implications that we're applying to our lives that, that uh, affect the conscience. Yeah, there's lots of issues of wisdom. Right. And by that, I mean, not everything that's unwise is sinful. Yeah. You know, it may be unwise. It may Mm -hmm. even be foolish, Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't necessarily make it sinful. 
Um, yeah. and, and so those come, those things come into play too. But I, I think ultimately we just, you know, we, we want to know that shame is a part of God's design and ultimately it, it's healthy. Um, yeah. You know, this is why you go to totally godless societies and there's shame and guilt over doing things that, you know, ultimately are a result of God's having put his law in, in the hearts of man. Um, you know, lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, those things are for the most part in every culture. Um, even in cultures where they um, would do crazy things like offer their wives to special guests, it, it's still shameful generally speaking um they've they've gotten rid of it in certain circumstances and situations but ultimately it's still there and that's because it's from god and so i would say that uh when we're talking about sin i want to kind of go back to what you mentioned before um dealing with shame over a past sin right um because inevitably that comes up as well i would say that the you know the grace of god in unrepentant sin is shame right the grace of god in unrepentant mm-hmm. sin is shame yeah but then i would say the grace of god in repentant sin is forgiveness right the the acknowledgement that you have been forgiven yeah. um and so someone comes and they said they've had an, an abortion they've repented they felt and look you may still experience some what of a godly sorrow over that yeah. for the rest of yeah. your life. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually not going to try to remove that from someone right? because right. sin has consequences. Sometimes yeah. it's lifelong. Mm-hmm. We do want that person to understand that they've been completely forgiven. We don't want, um, w- what we don't want it to do is cause stagnation or, um, you know, in their Christian walk such that they, they aren't growing in Christ um, they, but they may still from time to time remember that choice and grieve over it. Um, and my hope would be that every time that grief comes up, that grief causes them to look upon the cross and realize that Christ forgave even that. Um, and I think that's the, that's the difference. But that was good to, to bring up for folks, I think. Yeah, and <clears throat> great point. I would um what came to mind is this i'm looking at first peter chapter two and then i'm thinking that we have to recognize there are things that the world wants to shame you over and there are things that god shames mm-hmm. you over and often standing for the truth of god is going to lead to shame before the world not shame because of god but shame because they're trying to shame you into um walking away from god or to acknowledge their sin or to uh worship their idols looking at first peter chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 peter writes this beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles exiles to abstain from the fleshly lust with wage which wage war against the soul by keeping your conduct excellent among the gentiles that is referring to unbelievers so that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good works as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So if you stand firm on the truth of God, you will be slandered. You will, the, the world will attempt to put you to shame. You know, it, it, we, we just witnessed a lot of the election results from this past day and what a lot of people thought was going to be a red wave wasn't anything close to the red wave that people were anticipating. And it turns out, according to exit polls, one of the reasons why the red wave didn't occur is because a lot of people want the right to be able to murder their babies. 
that ended up being a major issue. And there are some people that are saying that the conservative party needs to drop abortion as one of the things that it stands for or the pro-life, I should say, the pro-life mm-hmm. position, yeah. because we are losing voters over that. Well, that is an example of the world shaming you for standing upon what is actually good. Mm-hmm. And by standing upon that truth, that truth that God gives to us, um, we're, their, their shame of us is actually going to be glorification before a holy God uh, when the end time comes. And so, as always with politics, I say, you know, it's not our goal, it's not our job to be political. Our job is to stand upon truth, um, even if that truth is deemed political. So, don't back away from truth just because the world sees it as political. The moment you do that, um, you know, we've lost, we've lost the war. But in doing so, you're going to be shamed by the world, but recognize that it's going to be something that glorifies God. Yeah, you know, this is just another case of everything that God grants that's good, Satan counterfeits. Um, You know, the the world has redefined love, right? God's definition of love is totally antithetical with the world. And shame, the same way. Uh, Either the world, shame shame is, it's interesting, it's very hypocritically used in the world, right? Um, Shame is something that simultaneously they try to eliminate and yet they weaponize it yeah. at the same time. That's right. right? Um, and, and in the end, you, you can't do both of those things. You can't eliminate and, you know, and weaponize. But um, that's a good, really good point. I mean, we're told that those who seek to live a holy life will be persecuted. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, go to if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, I mean, just pictorially, one of the greatest scenes is in Vanity Fair. Um, how they're mocking and they're shaming. Uh, we're also told that we in that we uh, participate in the shame of Christ, right? Um, and look at how he was treated. And so I think this is a good another good case for why we need to know the context of shame, right? Just like love, we need to know what the Bible says about love and be able to distinguish that between the world's definition. And we need to do that with shame too. Um, I, I just think shame is one of those things where, because it's not talked about as often, maybe uh, we've sort of backed away from it too much, e- even in the church. I, I want to read another passage just to give another example um, of shame and its rightful use and rightful place. Um, and then I want to tie this back into some of the LGBTQ critical race stuff that we're seeing today, just because it's relevant. First Corinthians 5, 1 and 2 um, it says this, it is actually, you now. so this is the Apostle Paul dealing with a specific issue in Corinth, okay? It says, uh, it, he says, it is actually reported that there is immorality among you and immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned mm. instead so that the one who had done this this deed would be removed from your midst. Now, how does that relate to shame? Hey, well, he's meant to be removed, publicly no. removed. No. He, he has no shame. In fact, it's so utterly detestable that it's something that not even did the unbelievers do generally no. in this time uh, that was acceptable. And so, that, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty harsh opening, actually. Um, he's rebuking them because they haven't shamed someone effectively because of their sin. Yeah, he says right there in verse two, you become puffed up and have not mourned instead. 
And uh, we don't see the full three stages of Matthew 18 here, which goes to show just how heinous this deed was and, and just how heinous the response was. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, moving forward, I, I think for believers, if we want to see a, a healthy, thriving, pure church, we have to rightfully understand shame. Yeah. It's got to be done. Uh, we, we should never avoid that in church discipline. And remember, everybody actually takes part of church discipline in some sense. Um, the, the very first step in church discipline isn't for the elders to stand in front of the church yeah. and right. right it's actually the person that sinned against you uh, or that you're aware of that that you go and and it's amazing that you see god's grace in church discipline in so many facets i've only just thought about this as we've been talking but how many times does god grant some cover um for the most extreme form of shame yeah Right. I mean, three times before ultimately you're shamed in front of the whole community. Um, it just shows God's long suffering, even in his discipline. And we see that. Uh, but so we need shame in the church for right shame for that reason. I think another reason that's important is our, our culture is going to continually decline right into shamelessness. And in some sense, look, this is not new to human history. It's really not. If you've ever studied um, any of the early church's history, Roman history, listen, there were things practiced during those times that we don't even come close to. Um, Now, what we're seeing is very new to us, right, in the context of the U.S., but it's not new to our brothers in North Korea, it's not mm. new to the underground church in parts of Egypt and in China. Right. Um, it, you know, we sort of have to kind of step back and get out of our bubble. So it, it is new to us, but it's not new to history. It's not new to a lot of the rest of the world. But as our culture continues to decline, um, what the culture is going to do is continually bring a sense of uh, or try to undo shame and guilt. Um, and we just can't let them do that. I mean, we're seeing people leave the church because they want to be more sensitive to the LGBTQ community. Well, right. w- what do they mean by that? Well, they don't want to shame them, right. right? And that shouldn't be our goal. But I mean, for crying out loud, we should never want to remove someone's shame over their sin, um, active, unrepented sin. That should, if you do that, you are working against God. Um, and so we're just going to have to embrace that and come to terms with that and know we're going to be persecuted for it if you say anything about feminism um about the lgbtq community about any forms of critical theory critical race theory uh you mentioned the words marxism and just all these kind of hot button issues um and and we don't want to be known for always talking about those things but we have to deal with them Mm -hmm. um and and we can't let uh the world sort of shame us for mm-hmm. not taking away the shame, if that makes sense. Uh, the homosexual should feel shame, right? It's a perverted form of sexuality. Um, yeah. It should never be open in the streets. I mean, Paul talks about those things that are hidden and in the shadows and um, shouldn't even be named, yeah. uh, spoken of, right? Mm-hmm. He mentions that in Ephesians chapter 5. Mm-hmm. These are some of those things that should make you blush. I mean, yeah. we shouldn't even be able to say the word homosexual, without an, an inner feeling of kind of disgust and being no. turned off by that. Um, we shouldn't be desensitized by those things because that's, you know, but that's the goal. So, 
No, uh, great points. Um, I think about that organization, uh, He Gets Us. Um, this was an organization that was initially endorsed by the um, Southern Baptist Convention. They removed that endorsement, but Tom Buck uh, recently revealed uh, just in his communications uh, with them that if you identify yourself as part of the LGBTQ community looking for an LGBTQ friendly church, they'll work with you and forward you onto a church. And that's from an organization called He Gets Us. And the idea is that Jesus gets us. And that is one of these sneaky ways that the world um, will disguise itself as being part of the church. But uh, in disguising itself, they will seek to minimize or, or even normalize what should be shameful. Yeah, absolutely. So I think we need to redeem the word uh, because it's biblical. We need to understand it, keep it in its proper context. It's not a dirty word. And I hope after this episode, um, it, you know, you're, you're, it, you don't have that kind of hesitation when you hear the word shame uh, uh, appropriately applied. It's God's mm -hmm. grace. Um, and, and like everything else, and we've said several times, of course, it can be manipulated. We've seen that all over. Um, but listen, like everything else, and I'll just kind of end on this and you can comment. The, the way you combat uh, the counterfeit of everything is to know the truth well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And so if you understand um, biblical love, biblical justice, um, biblical shame, uh, then when, you know, your own mind leads you to places that aren't biblical, you'll be able to catch yourself. When the world tries to shame you wrongfully, you'll be able to see that. And when, you know, the, the devil tries to um, immobilize us with uh, shame and guilt that's yeah. truly been covered by the cross, you'll know those things because you know the truth. Amen. And uh, when we think about the gospel and you're presenting the gospel to those who do not know Christ, help them to feel the shame for their sin. Sin, guilt, shame. If you can help a person truly have a biblical view of themselves in in those three terms, their sin, their guilt, and their shame, um, then you can help point them to the grace that was brought to us by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross to bear the penalty for all that sin in order to take away our guilt and our shame. Amen. Well, I hope that this episode has been helpful to you guys. Listen, we would love to put out content that benefits you. So if you have some topics that you would really like to hear us cover, maybe that you don't hear too often or you need a refresher, please send us an email. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Those, uh, Our email and other details will be in the show notes. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.